TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Welcome back to Hardline here on News Radio 930 WBEN. Joe Beamer and Brenda Alacy with you for 51 more minutes. Thanks for hanging around. This segment, we have Dr. David Pierce, the Chief Medical officer for the Buffalo General Medical Center. Dr. Pierce, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Doing well, doing well. Uh, We uh, have seen now through most of the country outside of New York State a spike in COVID-19 cases. Uh, Why are we seeing these in 31 states like California, Texas, and Florida, but New York has been able to stop seeing that second spike? Yeah, there's a lot of uh, the, there's a lot of opinions out there about this, and I can tell you a little bit of where my thoughts are, and then ultimately uh, where some of the experts from the, the CDC have 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 doubled down in terms of uh, where they where they think the primary uh, the, the primary effect of social distancing, of uh, hand hygiene. And then really shutting down a lot of the uh, shutting down a lot of the uh, the areas of uh, of commerce uh, across the state. So let me back up for a second. Uh, one of the things that's come up recently and over the last uh, really uh, probably month in terms of a conversation is largely around: Are we seeing uh, sort of the continuation of the first wave, or are we now in the second wave? And if I think. The majority of people, at least in my own opinion, is what we're really seeing is probably just a continuation of the first wave. We haven't we haven't conquered coronavirus once, only to see it come back again. And and I think if you look at some of the restrictions that were put into New York State, uh, you know, and all politics aside, uh, we mobilized very quickly. Uh, there were many criticisms around how fast it happened, how much we shut the state down. But at the end of the day, I think it really did have a huge effect in New York in terms of stemming the tide. We got hit very hard, especially in New York City, social distancing, shutting down everything, uh, keeping people apart, working from home. A lot of things were put into place that, uh, quite honestly, if you look at areas around the rest of the country, they didn't mobilize that quickly. Uh, New York State, then we've seen a huge turn in the number of cases, uh, and in fact, a downturn in the number of cases. And what I think we're now seeing is that other areas of the country are now, you know, are now seeing it spread throughout their own community. And um, and I think that's a big piece of where uh, uh, where some of the you know some of the increased infectivity rates of the, those 31 states is coming from. 
Doctor, I think, you know, part of the problem with uh, the COVID symptoms is that many of these symptoms can mimic other conditions other than COVID-19. Uh, certainly, you know, we hear about the kind of classic COVID symptoms, cough, fever, chill, shortness of breath. But then you talk about other symptoms. Uh, and I'm curious, you know, things that uh, loss of taste or smell, a sore throat, uh, you know, indigestion, that kind of thing. Does that present a problem for you as a physician to determine what COVID is and perhaps what it isn't at this point? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It is. A, and, a, and, I'll, and I'll draw a parallel to something from the past. When, when SARS, uh, the original SARS hit, and um, when that was you know, running through Asia and even hit up in Toronto, those cases were actually very easy to isolate and quarantine. Then you could trace back the people that had contact, you quarantined the people that had contact, but the symptoms of SARS were severe and the mortality rate of SARS, if you had it for all intent and purpose, you were sick and you had a high likelihood of dying. The most difficult diseases are the ones that come in with, and what all the things that you just described are some of the most common symptoms that occur in, in hundreds of different disease states, whether it's sinusitis, a common cold, you know, allergies. I mean, you can have any of those symptoms across the board. So, so to answer your question, it's incredibly difficult to, to, to be certain in a diagnosis or to say that someone definitely does not have it. And that's where, I, that's where testing becomes so important and the ability to get quick turnaround in testing to be able to, you know, to determine, you know, they, this is a person that needs quarantine, they need isolation, they need, they need, they need acute care treatment. Um, you know, for COVID other than, and, and it helps direct you away from, from that and focus on the primary cause of what they're coming in for, and it might be asthma. So there, uh, to answer your question, it is extremely difficult uh, to narrow in on exactly what it is. The other challenge I would think, Doctor, is that the, the coronavirus itself is changing. Is that true? I've, I've read conflicting things about that, that um, it's, it's more difficult to treat people because perhaps the first course of treatment isn't working now because the virus has morphed into something else. Is that accurate? It's a, it's a good question. I don't know if I have, I, I don't know if I have the answer to that because much, much like, like you, I've read, I've read an enormous amount of literature across the board and, 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 and there are conflicting reports on all of it. But I think some of the prevailing thoughts are largely around, uh, you know, most viruses tend to, uh, uh, tend to mutate over time, and, and as a virus spends more time in any community, whether it's influenza, which the reason that influenza is so challenging for us on a year-to-year -year basis is that we don't see the same strain of influenza every year, and even in, in, in a given year, the virus may change, and then the vaccine that was uh, effective at the beginning of the year is not effective toward the end of the flu season. So I would expect, like any virus, we will see that. And then as it does change, it does present new problems. And you're right, some of the therapies that were effective very early on may not be effective. Uh, yeah, later, later in the course of the, you know, the virus's evolution. So it, is going, it does present some problems for us. Uh, but, but on the flip side, I will say that we have we've had some tremendous lessons that we've learned and, and and this is such a unique problem for us to have in the medical community 
because the majority of what we deal with has has been present for an extended period of time. Uh, now, when you have something like this, you don't have the history, you don't have all of the data, you don't have all the research studies that have been done year over year over year that helps define and, and, and isolate the type of treatment and understand the disease better. We're really over the last you know, the last four months trying to figure all of this out. But what it has done is it's given it's given the medical community enough time to do research, uh, to do effective trials, to do trials in the right way, which are prospective trials. And we have a lot more information, a lot more in our arsenal now uh, as we begin to understand the disease better. Um, we are becoming more effective at treating it. You know, we see a lot of misinformation, obviously, during this, and sometimes just stuff that was at first thought to be believed uh, correct that turned out not to be correct. I mean, this is a new thing. This is still a very new virus. Uh, but I want to know, in your medical opinion, do you think locking down for these states that are really seeing a surge uh, in COVID cases is the best way to get something like this under control? From a medical standpoint, yes, I do think it's. I think it's incredibly important. Um, you know, this is an, a this is a unique. It's a unique disease and it's a unique problem. Uh, we live in a democratic country, so politics always permeate into into pretty much every area, including medicine. But this is one time that I've watched uh, politics and medicine the line blur more than I've ever seen before because there is such a a social and an economic impact of this disease on our communities, and um, you know, so I think there is there is a reluctance to take a step back and to lot and, and I think it, I had a good quote that I and I don't know who said it, but I it, it sticks with me, and it's basically that New York is done with COVID, but COVID isn't done with New York. And um, and I think it's a good way of looking at it. That I think we've we've done what we've done. We've shut everything down. People paid many businesses, many people paid the ultimate price in their respective areas uh, you know, for doing that. I think everyone's trying to move on now. <clears throat> so uh, I think that is the challenge: is to get people psychologically ready to take a step back to where we were before, knowing the, the social, the financial, the economic impact that it had. But from a, from a medical standpoint, um, the things that we have learned in terms of lessons learned over time is that you know, preparation, social distancing, using masks has been extremely effective. And as we've, and I mean, this is what I see even in my own community and in, in, in our, our own families is that, that people are ready to get back to normal. And if you just drive down the street and look at what's happening in our communities, people are intermingling. And there's some lessons to be learned in Spain right now. Spain was one of the hardest hit countries uh, in Europe. Uh, they had some of the highest death rates for physicians, for nurses. Uh, they shut the entire country down. They reopened on June 21st. They lifted a lot of the restrictions. And now a month later, they're having some of the highest spikes again. And now they're trying to figure out, like now that the rates are tripling, they're trying to figure out what to do and do they take a step back into shutting the country down again. And there's a lot of political pushback of doing that. You know, Doctor, I think uh, having uh, life return to some degree of normalcy and then having that dramatic shutdown again because of the spike would be even harder to deal with mentally. 
Um, but I want to go back to your point about how you said everything is politicized. I totally agree with that. So this question is really not a political one, but just drawing on the, the strength and power of your medical knowledge. What do you think um, of people who refuse to wear a mask? Are they being foolish? I think you see a wide spectrum of people and in terms of you know, beliefs. I mean, there are, you know, there are even religious communities that even in the context of, you know, life-saving, you know, a life-saving therapy, they choose not to. So it's, there's social, there are, there are cultural aspects of people that, um, you know, that, you know, that are hard to define by, you know, let's say just a, a Western New York born and raised person. So I respect the fact that people have a wide variety of, of beliefs and, and, but my medical, uh, my medical opinion on what, you know, what I'm seeing in the community and what we've all seen is that right now where we're at, I think not wearing a mask is foolish. Yeah, uh, simply, you know, the, the mask often isn't as protective to the person wearing the mask as much as it is, as it is to the people around them. So it, it goes to a certain level of respect that even if it's not, uh, you know, not a level of, uh, you know, concern for yourself getting the virus, it's, it's, it's the spread of it to other people. Dr. Pierce, uh, maybe this will help clear things up for some people. Why was it early on? in the coronavirus. And again, this COVID-19, it's still really new. So obviously some things are going to be wrong at certain times. But why was it in March we were hearing some medical professionals say that a mask isn't helping uh, stop the spread? What changed? What did we learn to learn that now mask is really essential when you can't socially distance? Um, I think there's probably two parts to that. Um, the first part is there's, there's really two different types of masks. Um, you know, and then the second part is just really, you know, where and, and how you should be using them. And from, a, from, from what we know about the, you know, about coronavirus, the majority of the spread is what's called droplet, which is, uh, which is a large, you know, a large particle. Typically it doesn't stay in the air. Uh, not like tuberculosis or some of the other uh, airborne diseases that float around and stay in the air for a long period of time. That's what we, that's what was, I think, uh, our understanding back in March and, you know, and using, you know, using extensive masks and N95 respirators and things like that would not necessarily prevent it from, you know, prevent it from aerosolizing. Um, as time has gone on, I think what we're realizing is that the, you know, the masks actually do prevent, you know, that large droplet from cough and talking and sneezing, things like that, from getting on surfaces that then people contact and then, you know, and then infect themselves. And we've also had some varying reports about um, different types of procedures as well as maybe different situations where the virus can become aerosolized. So when you're uh, maybe putting someone on a ventilator uh, in a hospital or you're doing uh, bronchoscopy, you know, to look down in the lungs, those or even using a a continuous nebulizer treatment for asthmatics, those things can, you know, potentially aerosolize the virus. And then if you are around those those types of procedures, those types of areas, you should be wearing a mask because it can help protect you. So I think we, you know, we stepped into this not having full understanding 
And at the end of the day, I think we tried to err as much as we could on the safe uh, on the side of being overly cautious. Doctor, we hear a lot about uh, COVID-19 affecting people dramatically if they have an underlying condition. Uh, what are some of the risk factors for folks who have underlying conditions? Is it people with diabetes, uh, asthma, et cetera? What, what do you uh, look for in that case? Yeah, I think, you know, as a first tier, I would say anyone who has any respiratory disease, uh, asthmatics, uh, COPD, uh, you know, primary lung disease, um, uh, I think people that are susceptible to those uh, that have those types of disease processes are more susceptible to coronavirus in terms of getting a worse infection. And then when you go one step beyond, anyone who has a lot of comorbid conditions like diabetes, like coronary artery disease, or you know, potentially on medications that suppress their immune system, a lot of uh, you know, a lot of patients like that may be more susceptible because they just can't they can't mount the you know the the response to recover as easily. Uh, and the other question too, along with it, we had on uh, Niagara Falls School Superintendent Mark Laurie in the last segment, and school is right around the corner. So my question to you, Doctor, do do COVID nineteen symptoms uh, affect children differently than they do adults? Sure. So, I'll I'll take I'll take in the you know just two two minutes here just the journey that we've been on. I think when when we started, we stepped into this slowly. And when you when you first had coronavirus, I think some of the prevailing thought was that this was going to be a very limited virus. It was not going to be a significant virus that would ultimately disappear in summertime. Yeah, we prepared as if this was going to affect the community. We realized very quickly that that wasn't the case. Uh, we mobilized, we, you know, shut everything down, mobilized resources, prepared for both adult and pediatric patients. And what we found very quickly was that our adult hospitals were extremely busy. Children's Hospital, you know, just did not, we, we saw virtually no cases of, uh, of coronavirus. And in the early stages, almost no cases of coronavirus that led to serious complications or, you know, or, or death. And, um, you know, and over time, there have been reports that have come out about uh, children having almost uh, an over-response to it. They called it a cytokine storm where you get the infection and the immune system essentially goes from zero to 100 miles per hour immediately and that inflammatory response can cause some significant some significant disease and some significant poor outcomes. But that has not been the largest group of people that we've seen. Um, and then as you know, over the last couple of months, we've seen reports of uh, a you know, significant number of people in their 20s and their 30s. In fact, you know, last week saw one of the highest, uh, the highest positivity rates in testing in the 20-year-old in the 20 year old age range. But what we aren't seeing is we're not seeing those patients go on to have, the majority of them go on to have significant poor outcomes, end up on ventilators, and then end up, you know, end up with a significant number of deaths in that age range. What are we seeing? Again, this is a lot of, you know, there's, there's misinformation out there. Yeah. You, you hear one thing or the other. What is the long-term effect of COVID-19? I've heard some people say that 
It does uh, affect you long-term, maybe your breathing, your air capacity, your lung capacity. And then I've heard other people say, no, it's like the flu, you get it, and, and you're done with it. Uh, is there any truth to this having lasting effects on you? There's a lot of reports, and your guess is as good as mine in terms of long-term. All we know is, I mean, I guess I would say that we're probably in the very short-term stages still, because we're still, we still haven't even... We haven't even eclipsed. We haven't even put the, uh, you know, put the final, you know, the final memoir down for this season, and we're still trying to figure it out. But what we are seeing is we're seeing some people that were infected very early have some residual effects. Some of them around smell. Um, the thought is that the virus is affecting some of the, the very fragile olfactory nerves in the nose, and you know, and having an effect on. And uh, and people that may be long-lasting, we're seeing some people even with muscle weakness, wasting, uh, and and then we're having people that are having some residual effects from breathing. So there are, you know, there's certainly some aspects of the disease that that, that many people are, uh, are projecting will be there for an extended period of time, but we'll have to get through this season and really get you know, to see long-term complications, we're going to have to get to the long-term state to really see what happens and how it plays out. Dr. Pierce, uh, really appreciate your thoughtful responses here. I always tell uh, my co-host, Joe Beamer, I'd rather wear a mask than a ventilator. And these are not easy questions or answers for anybody. And I wish you and all the other frontline uh, medical personnel well and, and respect what you do. Thank you so much for joining us this Sunday morning. No, thank you for having me, and uh, I appreciate your time. All right, have a great day. All right, we will uh, be back with another segment right here on Hardline. It's Joe Beamer and Brenda Alasi on WB. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. Back clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You said my world on even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Yeah.
Welcome back to Hardline right here on your Sunday morning. Brenda Alacy along with Joe Beamer. And I thought it only fitting, Joe, to come back with some Rolling Stones as Mick Jagger is celebrating birthday number 77, would you believe? Wow, 77. <laughs> Keith Richards is 121. <laughs> he looked like he was 121 when he was 40, I think. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's, it was a hard life for Keith. But man, I'll tell you what, Mick had that uh, heart surgery and he's still out there uh, looking good and performing and uh, hopefully has many more years to come. Just an amazing career and, and amazing longevity. And, you know, it is also the Donald Trump campaign song. Is that right? Yeah, that's what they play when he's walking <laughs> off the podium. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I thought it was kind of fitting. You can't always get what you want because we're living in a pandemic, for goodness sake. And I'm curious about what people would say if they want to call in or text in about what you can't get nowadays with, uh, with the, the life that we have in this era of COVID-19. So uh, be curious if you want to text us at uh, 716-803-0930. It's also the number to uh, call in if you want to give us an old-fashioned telephone call and share your thoughts and with you, us. You know, Brenda, it, it's funny you mentioned that because Thursday baseball came back. And, you know, I'm already screaming at the TV yesterday when Edwin Diaz gave up a home run with two outs and <laughs> two strikes in the top of the ninth. Um, but my buddy, who's a Braves fan, I asked, I said, hey, we should go, you know, to a bar to watch the game because you see the game on TV. So you go back to just this normal, you know, for nine innings, you're kind of, even without the fans, I mean, that didn't bother me too much at all. You, you kind of forget that. Oh yeah. Wait a minute. We're in a pandemic, even though I had just been talking about it, you know, three hours earlier, it's watching that game kind of being in the regular, you know, set, having a drink, having some wings, watching a baseball game. I'm like, Hey, we should go to a bar to watch this. You completely forget. Oh yeah, wait a minute. We you can't go sit in a bar for four hours and watch a baseball game. Right, right. Yeah, oh, things are so different nowadays. But at least there's you know some degree of normalcy. I heard you talking about that on your show on Friday, where you can have you know a, a beer and just relax in a bar, and it feels like life is back to normal for just even a small thing like that, where you kick back for a couple of hours or so. Um, you know, I miss going to the movies. I miss being around a lot of people. I'm a very social person, so I miss going out to restaurants. Uh, there are a lot of things I miss, but uh, there are other people who are dealing with very critical illnesses. So I don't want to come off as a whiner and say, hey, you know, woe is me. But uh, it, it's very strange. It's very strange. I miss going into the office for that matter. As you know, Joe, I've been uh, broadcasting from home since mid-March and working from home. And so what we took for granted and, and never gave a second thought to, or perhaps even complained about the grind, uh, I miss even that. You know, yeah, it, it's funny walking out to the sales desks and seeing February or March on the calendars, right. you know, still right. still on the desks. Um, but, you know, I also like the creativity. I mean, because everyone says, think about what this would have been like 30 years ago. If we had a lockdown, if we had to socially distance, you know, not having the technology to stay in touch like we do now. I mean, how many things have we replaced with a Zoom meeting, with a Zoom happy hour, just to catch up, just to see our friends like they're there? Uh, you couldn't have done that 
20 years ago, you know, let alone 30 or 40 years ago. But the creativity of people, you know, I talked a few weeks ago about a 5K. I did another one on Thursday where they're doing staggered start times. And, you know, so not everyone's taking off at the same time. Everyone's spread out. Uh, you wear your mask after the race if you want to go get uh, a drink or, you know, you have to socially distance. Everything's outside. So it's nice to see that some people are adapting just so you can have something that resembles a social situation uh, that we weren't able to have for so many months. Well, a couple of things come to mind, too. We had uh, friends over last night, just the four of us, and it, we kept we sat outside. We socially distanced people wore masks and then when we were eating we took it off but it was so pleasant to be outdoors and just talk and talk about things other than COVID-19. One of the things we got into uh, were the broad number of uh, uh, Netflix and Hulu and streaming shows that is so different Joe than it was even a few years ago. You know your your point about what life was like 30 years ago we didn't have any of that so it's really a pleasure to be able to distract ourselves with some quality programming if you choose to enjoy that. I've been reading a lot more than I normally do, so that's a plus as well. And just trying to exercise. And, you know, and I I made the point last night that if this was February and we'd be stuck in the house because of the weather or it's icy out and you can't really walk safely, that would be something um, that I would miss. So I'm very thankful that we have good weather and we have good entertainment available to us. And uh, and hope that, you know, we can finally start to get through this. And, and, you know, and that's the thing. People are on the text board saying, Joe, stop talking about the gyms. It's getting annoying. Uh, but if you look ahead, we live in Buffalo. And I'm not sure if people remember, it gets cold here. So it would be nice if there was some kind of plan put out by the state uh, where gyms could safely reopen Just if you could have, you know, three workouts a week, right? You have to make a reservation and you go at a a particular time. I think that would be living in Buffalo on the top of a lot of people's minds as we get closer and closer to winter. Well, people are adapting, uh, as we were talking about, Joe. And one of the ways that the gyms are adapting is that they're holding outdoor classes. And again, thankfully, the weather is you know, the perfect setting for that. And who would have thought we'd be complaining that it's way too hot and humid, but (laughs) people are out there uh, exercising and improvising at these uh, outdoor uh, gym sessions. So I tip my hat to them because it's a really, really tough situation uh, for these gym owners who have put, in many cases, some of the smaller gyms have put their life savings into it. So uh, my heart goes out to them and so many other small businesses that had to shutter their doors Uh, By the way, Joe, we're 100 days out to the election. So uh, I wanted to ask your opinion here. I don't know if you caught the the briefing the other day where President Trump spoke to reporters at the White House. It was on Tuesday. And he has, I think it's fair to say, reluctantly conceded that the landscape has changed due to the disease. And it seems like he had a shift on, you know, the way he is viewing the coronavirus, now advocating for masks and so forth. Do you think this is a new strategy by President Trump? I'd like to know your opinion, Joe, and we certainly welcome our callers. We still have time at 803-0930 in text uh, with the president's approach to this. Yeah, Brenda, I I think he saw what was happening in a lot of states like California, who has now surpassed New York with cases, uh, Texas and Florida. and, And he's seen what has happened because of the loosening of the limitations, right? The loosening of the lockdowns. Um, now, personally, I think there was a better way to do that, but that's a different show for a different day. Uh, but I think the president saw what was happening and said he has to lead by 
unlike our governor, you have to lead by example, right? So to wear a mask and he can't go to Jacksonville, Florida, while he's every day now back giving press briefings and saying, don't do this, don't do that. And the CDC is saying states like Florida and Texas really need to tighten their restrictions. Uh, So I think he just realized he has to lead by example. He doesn't want to be responsible for more states seeing a surge as we see in the states like California, Texas, and Florida. It seemed that a lot of the blue states uh, were affected first, and now there's uh, much more of an impact on the so-called red states. So, and I think that's gotten the president's attention too. Is that uh, you know people are getting hit hard in a lot of these states that were first unaffected. So. Well, it is interesting, Brenda, and and this is a commentary point, obviously, uh, but it is interesting how the media, for the most part, isn't really focusing on California. They only focus on the red states or a toss-up state like Florida. I wouldn't call Florida a red state. Uh, it, It is interesting how California has surpassed New York with cases, but we're really only talking about Texas and Florida. Well, I think Arizona could be thrown in that mix, too. That Florida as well, you know, Um, but again, we're talking about cases and I hate to sound like a broken record, but, you know, when this all started, we were supposed to flatten the hospitalization and death curve. Uh, But now it seems like when cases go up, our guards go up Uh, cases, I wouldn't think would be a reason to close everything down. Obviously, when you start reopening Cases amongst younger people are going to rise, but those are younger people in, and this is my non-medical opinion, uh, younger people can handle the disease as long as we act like adults and stay home when you're sick. I think that's a big thing to stress that no one really talks about. They just talk about locking everything down. They talk about everyone just staying away from everyone instead of saying, hey, be an adult. Like when you have the flu, stay home. If you feel sick, stay home. Don't ruin right. it for everyone else. Don't get people who can't deal with the virus like you can. Don't put them at risk. And I think we also should focus on the high-risk groups. Maybe focus on them when we're talking about limitations, when we're talking about lockdowns. Maybe quarantine the high-risk people in where we see COVID surges. Again, not my medical. I'm not a medical person. That is just my non-medical opinion. Well, it'll be interesting to see if the president's call for face masks continues to make a difference, uh, Joe. Even Mitch McConnell, uh, you know, obviously the the leader of the Senate, the Republican, he wore a mask at the Capitol. So I think it's starting to pick up, and I think that will help the president uh, ultimately convince people to follow suit. And and, And, and maybe it'll help people, you know, say, this is serious. We've got to take this seriously. And as we've said, we've said for a few months now, you know, hey— I, I'm not the biggest fan of the governor, if anyone listens to the station would know, uh, but I'm not going to not wear a mask to spite the governor. I, I, I think it's asking very little to throw a mask on. Uh, be courteous to others. Remember, the mask is for others. If you were the one to be sick, you wouldn't want to get other people sick. I think it's a small price to pay to have more things open. A point I made on Friday is if you're going to have a mask mandate, and this is something I'll, I'll hit on later this week, if you're going to have a mask mandate, in my opinion, that shouldn't equal closing more things down. If, more, if everyone's wearing a mask, we should have more freedoms. We should have more things open. The economy should be able to be going a little more freely, again, 
with a mask mandate should equal more freedoms, in my opinion. Well, yes. Yeah, it seems logical, doesn't it, Joe? And somebody wrote in about my comment about uh, taking our masks off while we were eating last night. Well, we were six feet apart, and we were being responsible, making sure our hands were washed. We didn't share any dishes. I mean, what are you going to do, not take your mask off while you're eating? So uh, you try to do it in a smart way, in a reasonable way, and so far so good. You know, I I worry about my loved one's health and my own health, but uh, I think everybody's trying to be smart about this. But I got to tell you, I read something just recently about Governor Cuomo, who is blaming the Wall Street Journal and the New York Post for the surging uh, coronavirus cases in Florida and Arizona. I don't know if you saw this, Joe. But Cuomo was quoted as saying, the Wall Street Journal and the New York Post continue to beat a horse that is dead. We should reopen the economy faster in New York. The infection rate is low. Reopen faster. Cuomo was ranting this to reporters at a conference call today. His point is that the infection rate is low because New York has done an intelligent phased reopening. And he claims, Cuomo does, that they are advocating what has demonstrated to be wrong and to be a failure. So now <laughs> I think Cuomo's really off base on this, that he's blaming the Post and the Wall Street Journal. Well, he's, uh, also, this. he's also taking a victory lap when, remember, New York State still leads the country in deaths. Like, I wouldn't be patting myself on the back if I was still the number one state in COVID-19 deaths. That's not really something to be proud of. Well, and I think it's dangerous to start pointing fingers like that, don't you? Yeah, because it's the same guy. And again, this is my commentary, but it's the same guy that will attack President Trump for literally everything. But then he can be, you know, he's he now feels like he's the one that can is in power to tell every state what they're doing right, what they're doing wrong. And now, I guess, every publication, what they're doing right and doing wrong. Right. Right. And we all know what happened with the nursing homes. And, and in New York, the the latest statistics I read more than 32,000 people uh, were killed because of the virus. So uh, I don't think it's time for Cuomo to, to you know, pump up his chest too much uh, when this virus has been absolutely awful. Did he do the right thing in the beginning? I think so, Joe. I praised him in the beginning of this. Oh, so, so did I. I think the first month, I think the month of March, uh, Governor Cuomo did a fantastic job of shutting the state down and making sure that we flattened the hospitalization curve. But now it seemed like mid-April when he started turning, and we talked about these on uh, these uh, press conferences on Hardline, Brenda, because a lot of them took the last half hour of our show. Uh, but these press conferences turned into political talk shows. Remember that? Well, that's the danger. That's the danger when you give any political leader a, a microphone and carte blanche. You know, instead of just sticking to the facts, uh, as you point out, it often turned into what you called his talk show. So I just want to hear about the coronavirus and how it affects exactly. New York and, and other areas. You know, we have a, a lot of folks who are snowbirds who go to Florida or Arizona in the winter and uh, people who like to travel like me. I don't want to hear about his mother's meatballs and everything else that's happening. And, and I really don't want to hear I don't want to hear what he thinks the president's doing wrong. I just want the facts on this date. It should be a 30-minute press conference, but it, we saw it again this week, Brenda, where he started blaming or talking poorly about Republicans in the Senate. Again, had nothing to do with COVID what he was talking about. Uh, and then he has, you know, he has to have his face everywhere. For some reason, he has to fly to Savannah instead of just do a Zoom uh, press conference. He has to fly there. He hugs the uh, the mayor with no mask. By the way, he did yep. the 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 chicken wing. You know the elbow bump. No mask. That's not six feet apart. Uh, so again, 
you know, you can you can like the guy all you want, you can agree with his policies, and that's fine. But when you see him on camera doing those things, it's pretty much him saying, "Do as I say, not as I do." And, and people think I'm I'm over stressing this or blowing this out of proportion. But you also had Dr. Anthony Fauci, who is telling you know all these sports leagues what to do, what not to do, and he sat for a nine inning baseball game on Thursday in the stands. Again, yep, I, I, I don't, saw that. Yep. I don't well, like the symbolism I, I of that. Of uh, I, I understand, Joe, but I have more of an issue with the way Cuomo's conducting himself now. He needs to really roll it back and just focus on New York. Um, and I agree with you. We were talking about the benefits of technology. Why would you fly to Savannah? And who paid for that? That's the other thing. Was that on the taxpayer dime? Yeah, you and I, Brenda. And, and that he was down there for, what, 23 hours, and it was under 24, <laughs> and he's essential personnel. It really disturbs me because I was – uh, very pleased and, and comforted sometimes by listening to Cuomo at those daily updates in the beginning of this. And now I think it's, he's gone way over to the other side and this has gotten out of control again. So, and it's interesting because he's getting more out of control while I think the president is being more realistic about it. It's quite a, quite a parallel that I see here between the way Cuomo is reacting and the way uh, that President Trump is now talking about uh, the, the virus and the importance of wearing masks and just the tone that he struck uh, at that press briefing on Tuesday. He was much more somber. Uh, he seemed much more organized in his thoughts. So be interesting to see where this goes, if he'll continue to, uh, to take that stance as the days go on. And here's something you probably never thought you'd hear on a news radio show, especially on Hardline. Uh, if you have time this afternoon, go watch Dave Portnoy and President Trump's interview. Dave Portnoy from Barstool interviewed the president Thursday. It was actually a very personable side of President Trump that I don't think we've seen in the White House since he's been elected. Uh, but it was a good interview, 22 minutes uh and he admit, Brenda, he admits that his biggest regret is sending tweets, that he often Joe, regrets it after sending them. That's the thing that stood out for me is when he said that he was he wished he could take some of those back and that he uh, regretted some of the tweets. And he he quickly said, because Poitner, Poitner, easy for me to say, uh, mentioned about. Uh, whether he regrets it, and he didn't hesitate for a moment. No. <laughs> so I was very impressed with how quickly he admitted to uh, to Barstool how how you know he really wishes he had had uh, a better take on those tweets. He seems very comfortable, Brenda. You know, we say we don't know what we're going to talk about because everything changes every 24 hours. But I think next week we might at least do a segment on the new or lapsed stimulus bill that will probably be voted on this week. Yes, that's definitely a hot topic, and I look forward to talking about it. I appreciate everybody listening and tuning in today. Thanks so much. And, Brenda, we'll do it again next Sunday. We'll be back live tomorrow morning. Don't miss it. Sandy Beach's last four shows this week, Monday through Thursday, 9 to noon, will be very entertaining and emotional, I can expect. And I'll be in for Tom Bowerly all week, 3 to 7. We'll see you next week here on WBEN. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. Back clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening.